You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here today with Philip Folsom. He's the CEO and founder of Wolf Tribe. He works with wolves. He has a lot of background working with wolves. Um, but his business is that he's a leader, leadership and coaching consultant. He has a background in anthropology. Um, he's an army veteran as well. Um, he has a lot to offer here, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more. Um, Philip, would you mind just taking it away and just giving us the origin of how you got here and a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So, hey, uh, we've all got a lot of challenges, whatever they're psychologically or resiliency or leadership based. Uh, sometimes it's the imposter syndrome that we're all crippled by, right? Like, oh, hope I don't get found out that I'm too young to run my own podcast. But <laughs> it turns out that everybody has that, you know? So, you know, I have a lot of the accolades and things, you know, behind my name. And I still have this, that the same, do you guys cuss on this podcast or not? Yeah. You can cuss if you like. Okay. So we all have the same shit. Right. And when I first discovered that when I was kind of your age, right. Was I realized, Holy cow. So it's not just me. There's a societal thing going on where um, people are struggling with, anxiety and addiction and depression. And I'm looking at all the suicide rates for, it used to be just veterans, but now it is in society in general. And what's going on with all of that? And Jordan Peterson says, if you have to fight a dragon, you should go to its lair. Otherwise it comes to your kingdom, right? Or your village. And so um, when I started, you know, my career 30 years ago, it was about initially fixing myself and then it was about realizing, oh, I have some work to do with humanity. And then eventually humans are welded together by organizations and affiliations. And so if I want to reach as many people as possible, I'm going to start working with corporations or other institutions. And that's really what I do for a living is I work with uh, companies like Red Bull and SpaceX and Disney. And my job is to make them more successful competitive. What I'm really doing is I'm sneaking kinship in the back door. And kinship is the big driver of how we have a sense of belonging that drives resiliency and well-being. And kinship is this lost thing that as a society, we have somehow fumbled alongside of our journey. And so my job as an anthropologist is to put those pieces back together so people are more successful. And your business, you help people with their culture, which is similar to that, and their and their leadership as well. Can you talk about how they go hand in hand and growing yeah. a business? Well, culture is king or queen if we want to be gender neutral. It is the big engine of success. Investing in culture is eight times more effective than investing in either strategy or technology. It is the big thing that drives all of our sustainable success. It also works the other way. If we have a toxic, dysfunctional culture, it is the end game of your company. So culture is the big one because it has to do with inherently the way that people operate, the way we engage with each other, the way we engage with our mission, the way we pursue the vision for the future. Culture is people. And regardless of how slick your platform is and your technology and all of those um, business plans, it doesn't work unless it, the people who are engaging with that can function at a very high level. So culture is people. 
is why it's so impactful. Culture is created by the behavior of leaders. So regardless of, and my guess is you probably have a lot of leaders who are watching this podcast. Definitely. Um, You are the head of culture before you are anything else. Whatever is your your title or wherever you are in your, you know, your, your, your job description and all those things, no matter what, you are the head of culture, which means your behavior uh, is the thing that models culture, right? It is the big footprint on your organization. People are watching. And so the way that leaders engage with our vision for the future the way we model our values-based decision-making, the way we conduct transparency and reciprocity with our missions literally generates culture. So in order to be able to upgrade our culture, we have to upgrade our leaders. And that's what I do for a living. And so to wrap that point up, I feel like it's just the common thing that people say about leading by example. Mm-hmm. And just showing the type of culture that you want your company to have mm-hmm. and actually being that. Yeah. Um, do you have any quick tips um, on how to create a good culture when your business is fully virtual? Now that we have like a lot of virtual businesses happening. Ooh, yeah, that's and a tough one. I do uh, want to get into uh, you having an explanation of the four different roles that exist um, before, like, so that we can just start the podcast off with that as well. Cool. All right. So how culture creation works, and you might want to pull a piece of paper out if you're listening to this or watching, because I'm going to rattle off a little, um, I don't know, a master's degree course here in about five minutes. So there's, there's four stages to culture creation, right? The first stage is alignment. This is where you get everybody on the same page about an aspirational vision for the future. And you have to have that. If people do not find the thing that they do to be purposeful, significant, aspirational for, you know, growth and progress, they're not going to buy in. They're looking for whatever um, options that they have that will be more fulfilling for them. So if you want to retain your good people, you had better make your vision aspirational. The second component for alignment is making sure you have a shared set of values that drive the decision-making towards that future. And people need to buy into that vision. And that needs to be, like you said, modeled by leadership. You have to demonstrate values-based decisions throughout the day. And now it's harder remotely because people aren't uh, feeling what you're doing. And nonverbal communication is vastly more impactful than verbal or written. Uh, Only about 15% of information is carried either by the written or spoken word. Most of it is how we're communicating it. And that's hard to do uh, remotely. So with leaders, uh, you have to be um, more strident and you have to have a higher cadence of how you're communicating to your people remotely. Very, very important. The last piece of alignment, this is your foundation of culture, is how you're conducting the mission right? And that's the third piece. And it needs to be transparent. You need to let your people know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. Because if you have transparency, what that will do is create opportunities for collaboration. And humans love to collaborate. It's one of the superpowers of our species. But people cannot collaborate, which is kind of a synonym for engagement. 
right? Then that's one of the holy grails for remote work. They can't do it unless they have transparency modeled by you, tribe leader. That that engagement or collaboration is the thing that powers what's referred to as reciprocity, which is another you know anthropology kinship word. And reciprocity means if you've done something nice for me, I'm honor bound to do something nice for you. It's a core human trait and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and what it does is it creates this engine of taking care of each other and going above and beyond. And we look at that as being um, morale driving. And really what it is, is kinship, which is the next level um, up the, what I call the tribe triangle when you're building a tribe. So alignment and then kinship. And kinship is kind of the segue into those four different behavior roles, which I don't know if you want to get into now, or you want to keep going up that, the, the culture keep journey, up, going up that culture journey. Okay. Um, hold so, on, let's so kinship, once you've established that and kinship is, uh, it's a tricky thing. And we're sorely lacking that in today's culture. Um, kinship, it's the root of the word kind, kin and kind. Um, in fact, kindness is a special type of behavior that I reserve for my people, right? Like I'll go out of my way to take care of somebody who is in my kinship system. And since we don't have traditional kinship systems left, what we really have is the affiliation that we share about our jobs. Our jobs are our last remaining, you know, a bastion or pillar of kinship in our society. We've lost a lot of our institutions that that formerly drove a lot of kinship, and that's um, the church, how we view politics, um, a bunch of other factors. And most of those are fairly lacking in our current culture. So the one thing we have left, we have our jobs. And so many people, they they look at their jobs or their careers, if you're lucky, as, well, that's just work. That's not my life. I'm like, well, where do you spend most of your time at work? With whom do you spend most of your time? My coworkers. That's the dead center of your life, right? If you're playing chess, it's those four squares in the middle of the chessboard. And if you do not own those four squares, I don't know if you play chess or not, but yeah, you need to dominate those center four squares. And in life, for most people in our contemporary culture, that's your job, which provides meaning and purpose and fulfillment, and your coworkers, that's your kin. And if those are just coworkers, you are going to have a lack of belonging. You're gonna have a lack of resiliency and meaning. So kinship is the thing that reclaims that center mass of our lives. And kinship is the, ultimately what it does is it powers a, a sense of trust and safety and purpose that allows you to start taking risks. And that's the next level up. So sitting on top of kinship is healthy conflict, which means accountability, risk-taking, innovation, all the stuff that gets you winning. And a lot of my clients come to me and they go, Philip, we, we want you to run a program with our company to increase accountability and innovation. And I'm like, well, are you prepared to lose? Because that's what's required to create 
innovation. Innovation doesn't mean you win. It means most of the time you lose. And sometimes you win and you connect on a long bomb downfield and you get 50 yards. That's the game if you're playing innovation. So if you are not prepared to take a lot of losses and a lot of missed passes, then you can't get to that innovation level. And that requires the resiliency of kinship. And then, of course, kinship requires your foundation of alignment. So this is a very sequenced journey. And once you understand it from a leadership perspective, you understand uh, as a diagnostic or maybe an inventory to go, where is my team on this this ladder, this culture journey. And a lot of times we have to like start from the bottom and go, all right, I can't decree or mandate innovation. I have to build it and then I have to maintain it because uh, that, that process is an inherently a human development process. Hmm. So is it three pillars or was there a fourth one? There is a fourth one. The fourth one is once you have gotten to the ability to engage with conflict, right? And that's the holding each other accountable. It means I'm going to take this. I'm embracing the risk-taking that is required to play offense and win. Now I've gotten to the very apex of culture, which is sustainable thriving. And in, in many ways, that's a return to the beginning because it means I'm continually recommitting to my foundation and I'm continually reconnecting to my people. And so it's actually more of a of a spiral than it is just a journey up the mountain because it never stops. All systems tend towards entropy, which means you don't just build it and then it runs. Everything degrades down. And you've probably heard um, people don't rise to the occasion. They default to their level of training. And I would say people default to their level of culture. So this journey of, you know, keeping your team operating at a very high level means we need to continually recommit and reconnect. And for everybody who's played team sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about because, you know, at the end of the season, you take a break and then you rebuild and you you go, all right, here's all the new players that came in. Here's how I recommit to the big goal at the end of the season. Here's how I, you know, recommit to it's not about me as an individual and my playing time and my points. It's about how do I make that extra pass so that we win as a collective, not just as me, but as an us. And really that's that's the the culture journey is replacing the pride-based, me-focused world that we're in with a collective, right, team-based journey, which is what we refer to as honor. And honor-based culture is based on relationships and a shared process that we're, or project that we're working on. I really appreciate that model. I was also taking notes personally. It starts with alignment and kinship healthy conflict. And then afterwards, there's a piece that gets people to um, continue to reconnect and recommit and it yep. spirals towards entropy. The part the, that I'm focused on and I have a little bit of a question on is the um, portion of getting your team 
sold on the goal that you have and and get them so i guess my question the vision, marks, the vision yeah my yeah. question marks are how do you um how does that what does that look like um and are you like continually continuously reconnecting with that vision um on a weekly basis and constantly reminding your team of that vision if possible it would be um, a daily basis daily basis you think yeah yeah so i should be at the top of everyone's mind preferably if possible mm -hmm. right so i'll give you a, qu a quick little story um this happened for me down when working at spacex and yeah. i was talking about this exact topic with with one of the managers of, the, of their um engineering team uh about the power of a shared vision and really what a vision should be if it's a good one is it's unique it's aspirational right um it's something that engages people about significance and purpose and meaning i mean it should be one of these things that's exciting for people and this um this guy that i was working with he he pointed to the these big uh, globes they're like uh they're probably 10 foot globes they have down in one of the big boardrooms at spacex and there's this red cracked like mars planet mars and then there's this blue green earth planet, you know, these two big, and uh, he pointed to those globes and said, that's our vision. And I, 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 I glanced at him and I said, yeah, we're, we're going to Mars. I mean, it's the coolest, coolest fucking vision ever. Right. And he goes, no, look at the globes again. And I, I took a closer look and that blue green planet that I assumed was earth, you know, it wasn't earth. It was a terraformed Mars. Mm -hmm. Terraformed means you have created an Earth-like planet. So SpaceX is not going to Mars. SpaceX is going to go get us Mars. And if that doesn't raise chill on your arms when, when you hear it, I, that's an example of an aspirational vision. And how that translates to engagement is that when I work at SpaceX, uh, and there's no dress code at SpaceX, but more than half the people there are wearing SpaceX livery, their affiliation, their colors, because they believe in the vision. So SpaceX, um, you know, may be struggling with other components of their culture, but Elon's vision for the future is so aspirational and so meaningful and so significant that it drives people forward. Mm -hmm. And so you may not have a, you know, you may not be going to go get a planet for humanity, but yeah. uh, your job is to excavate down into your why enough that you have found something that is aspirational and is significant. And one of the ways you can do this is coaching for all the leaders is that in, in Japan, they have a, a, a technique of asking five whys. So um, the first why would be, um, uh, Debron, did you go to college? Yes, I did. Why? Um, because I thought that it was the route that I had to take. Um, to get a good job. Great. Why did you need a good job? Because that's how I was trained to think from a young age from my parents. 
and because you need so money to great. So why do you need your your parents' um, acknowledgement? Because um, run our third why. For one, we need the I I wanted the um, appreciation for my parents, the the recognition rather, right. and then um, why do you need recognition? Because it's a, a human innate um, desire to be recognized. Great. So we can we could go down this road, yeah. many more whys, but we've gotten to an innate human need, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just the piece of paper you got at college. It's the journey that you took that uh, got your parents' acknowledgement, the, the career that you earned, the money that you're getting, the the acknowledgement of humans that you're doing a significant thing in the world that you're earning your breath as you move through the world and so you know what we got to is a much more aspirational and engaging why Mm. so you don't want to start it like you need to go to college it's like well okay well that sucks like no you need to do this because it's a core human need to be significant, right? And I'm just using this as an example that you could be making widgets. You could be having the, you know, what may seem as a very banal uh, job you're doing, but at some point, what you're doing is significant and you need to find that why. And it may be my job is providing, um, you know, money for people, even if it's a low paying job, that buys food for their children. I'm like my job, my company is providing, uh, you know, a lifeline for families. So that's important. That's an important why. And your job as a leader is you need to excavate and dig until you find something that is engaging for your people so that they go to work and they go, I'm doing something important today. Otherwise they're just shuffling in with a, profound lack of engagement and the kind of scary number for all you leaders is um, less than 20% of North American workers are fully engaged in their jobs. So 80% are disengaged and the lowest level of those people are actually um, toxic. They actually hate their jobs and they're actually working against you. So you need to turn the tide uh, of those numbers and your primary tool for that is going to be building your alignment foundation. And vision is a big part setting um, value-based decisions that people feel good about and that get you there. That's your second one. And then obviously the transparency through which you communicate and you conduct your job as a leader that needs to be seen and therefore modeled. And that's the work. Wow. A lot of valuable information that I I would be willing to spend a lot of time and energy and money into getting, but you're giving it to us and our audience for free. So I really appreciate that. I get to you. (laughs) I I also appreciate all the analogies to like kingship and, and things like that. It's all, it's all helping it tie together and make sense. Um, So how did you do that practice with me? The, the Japanese five whys, like how did, how did you go about that? You just pretty much just keep asking why until you get down to a human need. Yep. Or something, something that works for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that's, 
Um, and there's a lot of you know, techniques. Um, the ability to lead successfully is about gathering your toolkit. And that toolkit is vast and it's going to be unique to you. Um, some of it may have to do with um, the ability to engage people, the ability to uh, increase resiliency and capacity with people. Everybody has their own unique leadership brand that you end up developing. And, and it's an exciting, really fun part of leadership. The lens through which you see um, leadership, which is really applied psychology. Um, the, the, the process of gathering that is an endless journey. Most people are promoted into a leadership role in about age 30. That's when you they say, hey, you're good at that. Now we're going to promote you from that into people. Whoa, like I haven't been trained to deal with people. I'm good at doing that. Well, yeah. that's the next you know sphere. So they're promoted to leadership at 30, but they don't receive any leadership training until 40. That's on average. So there's a 10-year train wreck of just making disastrous leadership you know, decisions in the school of hard knocks where it's like, oh, I pushed too hard. I didn't push hard enough. I didn't have the communication skills to be able to share what I wanted to share. I did it too regularly or not regularly enough. And so receiving some leadership training uh, will accelerate and fast track that journey. And we should be standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, I didn't invent the five whys. It was something that was taught to me. And, yeah. and so, I, you know, I have, a, and, and I'm, you know, I'm twice your age. So I've got a big, you know, toolkit. I have a, a very substantial toolkit. And really that's what I'm doing with organizations is for them to be able to gather all that information themselves is incredibly arduous and so much debris and collateral damage comes from that. Hire a coach, you know, and if you're, if you're trying to get in shape and you're ready to get serious, hire a coach. Like okay. if you're dealing with relationship issues and you're just fighting with your partner, hire a therapist, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants because it will accelerate you. And uh, a lot of that is what I do with, with my clients. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And as you were talking, I remembered something that I learned as well, where everybody is either, I think it was a manager, a technician, or an entrepreneur type of a worker. Yep. And so if, what you were explaining was if someone's a, a technician and they're trying to become a leader, it's a common experience. And there's a lot of times they just don't know how to be that leader because yeah. all their skill, the, the way they work is that they're skill-based and they just kind of want to do that work. And a lot of times they'll be recognized for doing good work and they will be promoted to leader, but I have no idea what they're doing in that position. 100%. Um, so that's when you have to hire a coach the same way you would hire someone to help you as a coach. If you're trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, a leader is somebody who is primary job is to deal with a future that does not currently exist. Like that's mm -hmm. vision. People leaders are vision people. Um, managers are people who maintain and manage what currently exists. And they're both really, really important. Like you have to be good at implementation. You have to be good at management, but they're very different roles. And sometimes you have to wear both those hats and you have to toggle back and forth of I'm, a, I'm leading my, my team into uh, 
this aspirational place that does not currently exist. And I need to hold that vision and I need to be able to communicate it to my people. Well, sometimes, you know, if you don't happen to have a manager yourself, then who can implement all of that, like an operations person, then sometimes you have to step down and do that. But whenever you make that step, you're losing the the vision. It's very hard to hold both of those at the same time. And in the military, um, they've 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 actually broken that apart into different categories. You have officers, and an officer's job it really is to conduct uh, a strategic vision for something. And then you have your non-commissioned officers, and those are the sergeants, and their job is to implement. They're the managers, right? And then you have your privates, and their job is to do what they're told because they have not yet achieved the what's referred to as the purpose and the mastery to be able to conduct missions. So um, that's kind of the delineation there. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And there's no surprise that the military is so effective in the U.S. because of this structure of management where sort of the officers are the vision person, which I consider to be like the entrepreneur, the person, neural thinking person. And the sergeant is the manager and the privates are the technicians, the people who do the skills and hopefully work up. Um, So your job as a leader is to create more leaders. Your job is to make yourself obsolete. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of leaders and managers have have a hard time checking their ego at the door because they want to be important and the ones that make it happen. But the best leaders and managers are the ones that are making themselves obsolete, which is actually liberating because then you get to play at a different level, which is, you know, ultimately what kind of the pursuit of significance that is fulfilling in all of our careers. I feel like I've heard like people saying different things in terms of that. Like some people are big proponents of keeping the leader or the founder or whatever in, of the business in the, in the field and, con- and continue to do the work. And then most of what I see is <laughs> leaders trying to remove themselves from the business a little more so that they can, the business can operate on its own and potentially for whatever reason, whether they want to sell their company, whatever they want to do. Um, but I feel like there's, there's good points on both sides, but I think that your um, message in terms of saying this is like the leaders should be convinced that should be motivating other people on their team to rise as leaders as well and start to preach the same message that the founder yeah. is preaching. Yeah. What is Got your scale what, scale? What is your wolf stuff? You said my you, wolf stuff. Yeah. Wolves. Yeah. Um, this is probably a longer story, but. Also, yeah, um, no, definitely comment on the scalability if you have anything to say about that before we get onto the wolves. Oh, just, you know, things are growing or they're dying. That, wow. And that's the nature of, of systems. All systems tend towards entropy. You know, everything will revert to its lowest level of energy output in order to, you know, survive. Um, nobody accidentally walks uphill. Mountains are never climbed randomly. Like it, all greatness uh, involves that aspirational vision. Like there has to be somebody who is shoveling coal into the engine or systems stop. And so the leader is that, um, you know, the ability to keep energy in a system is constant work. 
and a lot a lot of just culture development is that it's just making sure that we're continually you know pushing energy into those systems and that means growth and it doesn't mean growth like um you know cancer just endless growth growth for growth's sake it needs to be growth that is um being guided by vision which is something that is uh, related to service or purpose or something that's aspirational. That's, that's how that pairing works is we need to keep growing, but we need to be growing in a direction that is meaningful for people. So the wolves real quick. Um, wolves are our ancient ally. It's our oldest animal partner. And uh, there was a moment in time with in human history, which is called our cognitive revolution. And you can look this up on the a book by Harari called Sapiens. And there's a lot of other writing about it. But there was an event 35,000 years ago where human beings became um, almost uh, historically in an instant culturally modern, you know, flatline for 200,000 years. Nothing changed with humanity. And then all of a sudden, when you look, you know, across all of, you know, all the archaeological, anthropological studies, it's like everything happened at that moment in time. We have, uh, you know, full-blown ritual burials. You have uh, symbolic art. You have uh, uh, musical instruments. Like we became who we are at that moment in time. And nobody can explain it. The only thing that, is irrefutable is that at that moment in time, we partnered with the wolf. And, and that moment uh, with the wolves and humans is the transformation of actually the globe, because we went from low level scavenger to apex predator with the wolf. The wolf was already there. So the reality historically is that we did not domesticate the wolf. You know, it did become our dogs, but the the almost irrefutable truth is that the wolf domesticated us. We were unsuccessful. The wolf was global royalty uh, on a planetary scale. And when we started partnering with that animal, it transformed us. So um, why the wolf is so important is that it they carried a whole set of, again, back to culture, a, there's a cultural operating system in a wolf pack that is irrefutably the highest performing culture on the planet. Our tribes are very closely modeled after a successful wolf pack. And um, there's a couple components just of interest for you guys that uh, the first one is there are no lone wolves. Lone wolves die. Wolves only thrive in a pack. And the reason why is you cannot hunt big game alone. And by big game, back to the vision conversation, an aspirational vision is big game. You cannot achieve that unless you have a pack or a tribe of aligned people. So you need those people. You cannot play this lone wolf game and think you're going to win. You have to find a way to collaborate and partner with other humans. So that's number one. Number two, you have to take care of each other. This is sorely missing. And it's why I push kinship so heavily with my clients is uh, the, the jobs, that, the life that we live as humans 
is hard. And so you're going to get distracted. You're going to get exhausted and diffused. So you cannot continue this journey of pursuing significant things unless you have the support of your tribe. And that's resiliency. And the wolves have this. Um, the wolves are one of the few species that will take care of their sick and injured, which is a regular occurrence because wolves hunt big, scary animals and they regularly get their jaws broken and their legs broken. And the pack takes care of these wounded individuals because they have to. Because without those wounded individuals healing and re rejoining the team, they all go extinct. So um, the ability to take care of each other, the ability to operate together um, are the first two big wolf lessons that we all need to remember. The third one is we need to adapt. And evolution is not survival of the fittest. That's a lie. Evolution is survival of the most adaptable. And the reason why the wolf reigned supreme for 5 million years is that they have an ingrained adaptability system. And it happens within the diversity within the pack. Wolves are not wolves. Wolves have a specific role that they play in their pack. Humans have a specific role that we play in our tribe. Those differences are what create versatility and that diversity drives adaptability. And we'll, and we probably got a lot of that from those, from the wolves. Right. Anyway, it, it, um, the awesome. study of wolves as it relates to leadership is um, deep and ongoing. And we could have a whole other podcast on that, but um, it's a fascinating study. Is there a, um, a, a podcast of yours or a book that you can recommend to people who want to dive deeper on that topic? Um, I have a lot of podcasts where I do talk about wolves. Um, I can't think of a specific one, but you okay. can look me up. Philip Folsom. Philip Folsom. And I yep. think now would be a good time um, to close and you can just give us ways yeah. that your, our audience could reach you if they want to learn a little bit more about wolves and um, yeah. the way and everything that you've been talking about. So I'm uh, philipfolsom.com is where you can access a lot of my work and uh, philip with one L and Folsom like the prison.com. I also run a big men's group called K4 and it deals with all of these same issues, but kind of within the context of um, masculine resiliency and leadership. And that website is k4men.com. And then is there any um, personal like social media accounts or any of that that they can reach you on? Uh, Philip Folsom um, across all, all those platforms. And uh, my uh, consulting company that I work with is Wolf Tribe. So you can look up Wolf Tribe. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast. I learned a lot. I gained a lot of value from you today. So I'm sure our audience will as well. Um, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it, Folsom. Philip yeah. Folsom. Philip Folsom, that's me. All right. Hey, thanks, brother. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.